0: Hey, friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. What's up, building us listeners? Eric Garcia here. This is a special bonus episode. Matt and I were asked to be guests on the Agent Influence podcast. It's a buddy of mine, Jason Cass. He is one of the biggest voices in the independent insurance agents space. We don't talk about insurance, we talk about love and money and financial infidelity. Matt talks about sex. We talk about better communication. It's a good show. Check it out.
1: Money is just a place that conflict is kind of baked into it. Baked into financial decisions are differences, disagreements, differences of opinion, different strategies, different values. And when we see those differences, we're going to have conflict. It's a decision that has to be made. It's a decision that includes values, priorities, planning. You know, it's a limited resource. It's scarce. So you're going to have to decide this or that. With all of that come emotions, come opinions, and therefore conflict.
2: Hey, 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 welcome to Agents Influence Podcast Conversations with who? Me, Jason Cass, And today I have Mr. Eric Garcia and I also have Mr. Matt Morris, also known as Dr. Matt Morris. So you guys have probably heard me talk about them over the last two podcasts. It depends on when they've come out. You've heard me mention about building us and Eric Garcia and Dr. Matt and what they have going on over there. Um, Matt or Eric, as you guys also know as loyal listeners, we got your podcast.com, um, produces their podcast. They do all the genius, which is actually get the guests and then spit the lyrics. We just kind of put it together and show it to you, and makes it look all pretty. But they are somebody who has got a podcast that has been building, and I, and I really like about this not building us, but build, been building. Because uh, we'll get to this, but Eric and I have been friends for a long time. You loyal listeners, you all know who who Eric is. Um, you don't know this is your first time meeting Dr. Matt. I know you're going to be impressed. But I think what's really, really what we're driving at here is I'm just going to make no bones about it. I want you to get a glimpse of how good they are. I want you to get a glimpse of how pure they are. I want you to get a glimpse. Of how really righteous and forthright they are is trying to improve you. That's all they're trying to do. They're trying to improve you, trying to build us, building us together. So Eric is a financial dude, and Matt um, is a when I say can I, when I say couples counselor, is that not right? How what, how would you say that, Matt?
1: Yeah, couples therapist, uh, family therapist,
2: professional counselor. And then what would you say uh, your title is, Eric?
0: uh financial advisor certified financial planner take your pick fin- i like financial dude financial,
2: work. financial dude and the family dude. Okay. So that's what we have today is building us. So if you guys have listened to some of their podcasts, great. If you, if you haven't, I'm asking you please to do the, go do that, invest in it. And the cool thing about you guys is you guys talk about some stuff that relates to everybody. Everybody has money issues or money problems or money goals. Everybody has family issues or family problems or family goals, right? They all need that. They mix and they, and they go in with, uh, and they intermingle with one another. Um, um, but I really, really like you guys because you guys bring on some very unique guests. So we're, I don't really want this whole podcast to be about your show, but I want to give them a little glimpse. I mean, tell us about some of the guests, Eric, that you've had on recently. These people may not know the name, but when you say what they're associated with.
0: Yeah. So our, our kind of, our, our guests do span the the spectrum. Um, a lot of times it's just Matt and I going solo talking about money and, and relationships, but, um, uh, relationships interest both of us. Uh, we're very interested in in how people communicate with each other on, on different topics, not just about money. Uh, so more recently, a lot of the the guests that we've had on um, have to do not just necessarily relating to each other as a couple, but also relating to the community. So we've had uh, a few guests on a couple shows that that we interview interracial couples, and we talk about their experience kind of in the climate that we're in right now yeah. in this country. Uh, their experience raising uh, biracial kids—that's been—that's been interesting. Um, we've had a um, since both of us are entrepreneurs, and, and obviously entrepreneurship relates to money. We've had a couple series on entrepreneurship where we interview entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, a couple include a children's book author, uh, Jesse Burr Jr. That episode, actually, I was going to say it's going to drop this week, but by the time you listen to this, it will already have dropped but yeah. Jesse's interesting. He is a, he is a, um, uh, African-American children's book author and he's very, uh, um, focused on having, uh, people tell their own stories. And he does it through children's books. Fascinating, um, fascinating, uh, individual, just an in entrepreneurship and what he's building. And he was actually just recently named the, the youngest African-American to be named to the NPR board of directors, which is, which is pretty interesting. Pretty, pretty big deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then another episode, this is a, a a New Orleans rapper who speaks on financial literacy. Uh, so we got him on. So we talked about we talked about money. We talked about racism. Uh, we talked about his music, fun, fun stuff. So we, we we like to have thoughtful conversation as it relates to relationships, whether it's couple relationships, parenting relationships, uh, relationships to the community, um, and and like you said, money is such a constant part of everything. Right. right? And you and I, we we actually did a show together, uh, Jason on on relationships, looking at relationships as as currency, yeah, and the importance of that relationships. was a good one. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Matt, what would you add to
2: it? What is your what do you what do you see when you're looking at your podcast and what you're trying to give out there? What do you, what what's your what's your nugget? You feel as if you guys drive home. Yeah,
1: building us is uh, a podcast all about love and money. So any anything that touches relationships uh, love trying to improve your relationships, um, and deals with money we talk about. So we've, we've had several mental health professionals on talking about, um, various relationships. We did one recently, but about the mother daughter, teen tween relationship, which is fraught with difficulties and challenges and, and opportunities. Um, amen. Amen. Uh, So parenting stuff, um, as a couples therapist myself, I mean, I I recognized years ago that when you talk to couples about communication, about conflict, about intimacy, money is a, as a theme that's woven through that. And so money is going to come out, come up. And so uh, counselors need to be much more literate in finances if they're going to help their couples and their families. And, And it's just not something that We learned all that much in graduate school, learned all that much about in graduate school, finances, personal finances. And so Eric and I have really been on this kind of crusade to help the mental health community be much more literate when it comes to personal finances. Wow. That's all part of the Building Us podcast. No,
2: that's fantastic. And I like your angle a lot better than Eric's. Eric's was really boring. Yours actually yeah. gave some some meat to that. So I have to be nice to you, Matt, and he's, mean to him because it's that thing. And man, I man. know he's him that wife. long. So I can do that. No, seriously, though, Matt, that was an interesting way to put it because you are right. That money is a common thread in, in a lot of different things. And in a lot of things, time, tell me if I'm wrong. I think sometimes we think the lack of money is the problem in in in, in relationships. And I think that's true. But couldn't you say also? having too much money also presents it's also problems of how the money is being spent where it's being spent why it's being spent if it's being spent i mean would you say that sometimes what i'm saying is that sometimes we we re- re- relate the money being an issue because they don't have any
1: yeah I, I i mean the amount of money that you have is not correlated to the kind of conflict that you're having just money itself is correlated nice to okay and so, so Money then becomes the stage upon which couples fight. And it's not, you know, sometimes it's not enough money. That's, that is one end of the spectrum, not enough money or underemployment or not, you know, not making the best career decisions. That's part of the fight. But the other part of the fight is what to do with all this pile of money that we have. I mean, I I have couples who are very, I mean, clients who are very wealthy who fight about money all the time. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. money is just is just a a place that uh you know conflict is kind of baked into it and so couples are going to fight about it interesting we'll we'll talk about that
2: yeah matt um let me ask you a question uh do uh iphone or droid user
1: me
0: droid you're a droid user yep
2: Yep, he's a doctor see loyal listeners you should pay attention to what doctors say don't pay attention to Jason, just pay attention to doctors.
0: He can't He can't perform surgeries or fix oh, broken arms. Eric, what do you doctor.
2: use, iPhone or Droid? iPhone. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Good. Former iPhone. Droid user yeah. though, right? You, you switched over for some reason. You know,
0: I don't I don't like selling out to any one ecosystem. Oh. So I was Droid, then I was Apple, <laughs> then I was Droid, and then I was Apple again.
2: You don't like selling out to all one ecosystem? So you're an Apple user? No. They, they, no, they no only have one but, ecosystem. But, That's all it is. You sold out to one. But, uh, you basically are an all-state no, no, no. agent. That's what you are. You're a State Farm agent in the cell phone world. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: it means nothing to <laughs> me. <nothing> <laughs> sticks and stones may break my bones.
2: That's right, but words hurt real bad. Isn't that right, Matt? Is, I, you know, Matt I, has lived his life trying to break that. As it, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words do hurt, man. Oh,
1: I've been yeah. I've been watching it and proving it, and and you know, watching it unfold for years. My career has been about legitimizing that phrase
0: right i bet but, it has you know, but that's why i'm friend that's why i'm friends with a therapist because i can go to him and say you know jason hurt my feelings matt make me feel let better. me ask you a question you know, eric
2: do, do you use uh-huh. do you use matt whenever you and the old lady are having a conflict do you go to matt and kind of say hey dude i need to talk to you not a straight session but do you use this relationship it goes
0: like this it typically goes like this hey dude let's go grab a beer and watch a soccer game <laughs> that's, that's typically up. how it goes that's set <laughs> <setup>.
2: <laughs> matt, knows. <laughs> matt knows. he's like oh crap Start the
0: clock, yeah. Matt. Matt has been known to to make this statement to me. Hey, are do you do you want me to talk to you like a friend or like a therapist? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like am what? I, am I on duty man? here or? No, like I want, I want to fix my relationship, man. Whatever, whatever advice is going to help me fix my relationship.
2: <laughs> oh man, dude, Dr. Ben, I bet you have that. Cause, cause you're dealing with people, any of your friends that all have this common thing, all have this common issue, which is relationships, right? Everybody has it. So let's get into what we're talking about here. That's just kind of what we do, um, uh, is, uh, like the BS here, but the listeners would like us to get on. One of the things that you brought to the point and the attention of this podcast, Eric, um, specifically had to do with data uh data. data of relationships and you guys loyal listeners know that i'm all about the d-a-t-a woo, woo. but now he said hey how about the data of relationships Cass? what about hmm. the things that we're doing at building us and looking at that data so erica uh, yeah. i'm gonna kind of turn this over to you and i'll ask all the hard questions and make fun of you but in the meantime you continue on what do, what do you got as far as data
0: yeah. So I was thinking about this. Um I knew that we're going to come on your show and uh, I was kicking around different ideas I wanted to talk about. And I know that you've been on this data kick for I don't know how long a year now. Like,
2: yeah. Over a year and I a half. Think, yeah.
0: At least a year. You know, data, data, everything's data. And and data is important because data helps us make good decisions. As business owners, as entrepreneurs, if we ignore data, then we're we're ultimately gonna be in trouble. Uh, we, we can't ignore um, the data and those analytics give us, as, a, as an investment advisor, right? Now, I'm looking at data all day long in terms of in terms of advice to give to clients and in, in investments to to select for clients. So I was thinking about this idea of data and stats in the relationship world as it relates to money in couples. So Matt and I have been kicking around a couple ideas, and that's what we're going to talk about today about uh, data. How can we as as individuals, and, and most of this relates to to couples. So how, how can we as as people in relationships use data to maybe protect or strengthen our relationships specific to uh, money? So what kind of so data we would, would we about. use? This is this is more of Matt's field. You look at a lot of research and, and Matt has some some interesting things to say about research in in the uh, in the in the academic world. And understanding a lot of the terms and whatnot, but, um, but certainly research that different counselors and psychologists and I don't know, smart people with PhDs have, have, have done academics have done Matt. Yeah, little. there's
1: whole, there's a whole field of, of family sciences and, um, uh, family financial sciences that, that has, has looked at, uh, relationships and uh, relationships and money, and constructed many many studies and surveys about the influence of money on relationships and relationships on money, and so we we just pulled some of those today and and wanted to bring some of those to your attention. I want to talk just a, a minute, just as a, a prelude about research. Um, you know, when when I as a as a professor as an academician read research, it's probably different than I read it as a as a Googler. So when I'm just looking for something online and Googling money and love or something like that, what generally pops up on my screen is not, is not, you know, tier one research, it's survey data. It's like some company put out a survey to their users. You often see this with, uh, with, uh, financial, um, companies or credit card companies will throw out surveys to their users and then they'll collect all that data and publish it as if it's You know really really significant research sometimes that's just survey stuff and and survey stuff is really good because it gives us demographic data which is like you know how you know what's average credit card debt for the american household that's that's survey data that's interesting it's usable but it's not exactly why did they get into that debt or how do they talk about that debt or do they keep that debt secret from each other that's a different level of research what happens when they keep it secret? And so we want to talk. We want to talk a little bit more about some of the research studies that are out there that deal with with relationships and money. Wow,
2: way to set that up, dude! I, I never really thought about that, but yeah, that is that survey data, and we're gonna go deeper because that's what we do here, loyal listeners. Yep. 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 All of a sudden you had me on 1.5 or two. Then you heard Matt talk and you got it down to 1.2. That's a good smart move because he's getting ready to spit it. So wh- where do we want to start with this research data?
1: Well, I would just start with saying uh, that the data is really clear that if you're in a relationship, if you're married, you will fight about money, that it's inevitable. Money uh, causes conflicts in relationship. Um, and the data even is is even more clear than that, that fighting about money is one of the most frequent topics uh, of argument for couples. So, um, so if you're in a relationship and you're fighting about money, it's okay. Join the club. You're all right. It's not necessarily a a terrible warning sign.
2: Why, why is it? Why, why are we all griping about money?
1: Well, I I think that um, as, as I was talking about earlier, I think that baked into financial decisions are differences, disagreements, differences of opinion, different strategies, different values. And when we see those differences, we're going to have conflict. I, I may have one, one way of doing it, one idea about doing it. Uh, my spouse may have a different idea about doing it. So it's just, it, it's, it's a decision that has to be made. It's uh, a decision that includes values, priorities, planning. And with all of that, You know, it's a limited resource. It's scarce. So you're going to have to decide this or that. Uh, With all of that come emotions, come opinions and therefore conflict. You know,
2: one of the things I was I was I've been doing some research and I was or not research reading. And I was I was reading this book and I can't it wasn't like a um, like a novel book or anything. It was actually probably just an article or something. And I was reading and they were talking about the way that everybody's decisions and these are this is nothing mind-blowing mind, mind blowing, but the end was to me and that everybody is raised in a different environment in a different household in a different area in a different region and so and when you're talking about this dr matt and you're talking about money specifically everybody sees it as a different Form of meaning in their life and how it should be used and stuff like that. And one of the things that when this this, uh, person who was writing this really drove home was is that if you're sitting in an airplane with 180 people, there are 180 different universes inside that plane. He was using that as an example, meaning that the person Mm -hmm. next to you actually doesn't actually even see the blue in the Southwest logo the same way you see the blue. It's that different. It's literally two different minds who have been in the same world and have some collective similarities, but more differences. So then now when you bring that into something like a a relationship and two people are going after and discussing money, um, and I like what you said, not only that, it's just, it's something we're always fascinated with though, right? As we're kids with money before we were in a relationship, it was always our, 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 our thoughts are on money. It's just who we are.
1: Yeah, it's always been part of our life as long as we can remember. I have I have uh kids. Uh you know, ki- money has always been a part of their life. It, it it's always been running in the background, kind of like RAM of a computer. It's just it's just in the background all the what time. What does the Bible say, and,
2: Eric? It says it's uh it's, it's closest tied to our heart. Yeah, it says a lot about money.
1: It's a it's a big book.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big book. But I mean, it is, it's, 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 it's so closely tied to our heart. It's, it's, it's a really, really, uh, it's a really, really crazy thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. what do you want to add yeah. to this? Mister? So,
0: what, what, yeah. So what's interesting here at this point is, uh, I think it was, um, ally bank did a study and this is, I guess this is one of those surveys, but these surveys give us insight They make us aware of certain, certain things that, that I think give us, uh, that, that awareness says, Hey, is this something I need to to, to look into? It says that 77% of people believe that it is of moderate to high importance to find a significant other with a similar philosophy towards money and finances. So I guess the thinking here is, hey, if we think alike, right? Those two, those, those hundred and eighty universes that you were talking about, Jason. If I can find someone who's in my universe, then I'm going to fight less. I would imagine is the take for me. That's the takeaway from from that stat. Which is interesting, though, is if we have a similar philosophy on money that's not healthy, that's problematic and eventually we'll <laughs> fight. Well, and
2: I think if, it, right. what if we have the same philosophy when we're 18 and we meet, but now we're 30 and we've grown and we've become different people and now we, our philosophies are different, right? And so we, we have that, oh man, that's it. Yeah. I could really, really see that when you break that down, that could be crazy. And Matt, that would drive me nuts trying to help people all the time with that. Cause there's all in a different university and from a different way.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I think that um, part of coupling and part of being in relationship is that those universes come a little bit more together, but they're never quite on the same page. And you're right. They change over time as as life changes, as we develop as people, as our incomes change, all of that uh, changes. You know, a, a, an article that I stumbled across about this topic that I thought was really interesting, uh, really surveyed uh, couples in what we're what were identified as healthy relationships, so really strong relationships. That was the data set and asked them what they typically argue about financially. And so number one, even really healthy relationships in this study still argued about money and they argued about the topics that are, are regularly identified in unhealthy, co- co- uh, unhealthy co- couples. They, they argue about spending habits. Mm-hmm. What we spent our money on. They argue the about. Number
0: one. Number one is spending. Number one argument point in money.
1: It's, it's, this is a sub point, but major purchases. So when you go to buy a, a house or go to buy something very expensive um, in New Orleans, that's often when you go to sign your kid up for a private school, that's a huge expense. <laughs> um, thirdly, kid related expenses are a very common topic that parents and and couples fight about. You know, does he really need that? Does she really, you know, they don't need, they don't need a new computer, even though we're doing on, all online learning, uh, financial management. Uh, yeah. So personal finances, financial skills, budgeting, people fight about that. Um, what we were referring to earlier, insufficient income and career decisions, people fight about that. And then this other one that we're going to get to later, but hidden purchases.
2: Ooh, Ooh. Secrets. when you yeah. find out guilty of those. Something's Ooh. been happening. So you you're... just told
0: the world, man. It's no longer a secret. Jason. I mean, yeah.
2: I mean, it's nothing big, but I, I'll I'll make a secret purchase. But I'm not a hider. I'm just one of those that doesn't fess up the information unless I'm asked. You know what I mean? Once you ask me, then I'll tell you. So, but, yeah.
0: You know, another another point. This this is an interesting one, and and I see this often. And I don't see the argument. Matt probably deals more with the argument than I do. But I see this as we're as we're planning and going through people's finances, is income disparity. He makes more, she makes more, he pays for this, I pay for that. And, you know, it's uh um it becomes very, very interesting from a planning standpoint. And I can imagine how the arguments, um, how the arguments go that Matt has to deal with. Cause you know, what I hear is, so I make this, she makes that, he pays for the mortgage and the kids' expenses, and I pay for the groceries and for everything else. So so what I often see is this almost um this veneer of the beginning of resentment. Like I have to pay for this, and, and they get to spend their money on what they want to spend. But he makes all the money or she makes all the money. So there's this kind of this income disparity um argument that that that's brewing uh, as opposed to it's almost like, I man, if we if we were if we we're in a business together, Jason, if we come together and and you you sold more than me, but maybe I brought something else to the table and you come to me and say, hey, I'm selling more than you. So I get to, to spend more of this money, this business money on this aspect of the business that's going to benefit me. It would make no sense from a business standpoint. right? right? We would have to pool our resources in, in, in one direction and not to minimize marriage to a, a business venture, but it's the same idea um but you do see this idea of income disparity and well I should get to choose how we spend this money because I earn it I make the majority of it so just how you know
2: my I mean so you guys know I'm 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 okay with this like I admitted this when I was 25 26 years old that of the two she's better than it um my loyal listeners know this a lot of my friends can't believe it but I don't have any of my checks deposited into my account None of my money goes into my account. It all goes into her account because she's in charge of the bills. That doesn't mean that she spends what she wants to. She's the most frugal person in the world. Money goes into my account. We may not be living in our house tomorrow. No, I'm joking. But I mean, it just has to do with the fact that I just like to spend money. It's one of the reasons at the business. I was in control of the funds for a while in the first year or two, but I brought Andrew in and then I got too big, had to go into somebody else. Because it's not that I just like to spend I just don't, that's not me. And to be honest with you, I don't put a lot of importance on, on like paying bills. So I just know that the money's there. Someone needs to pay it. Now, the fact is, is that I do have a little bitty, you know, little, little money that I, that I'm able to keep over on my side, which is probably less than like $300 a month. People don't believe this, but it's the God's honest truth. I really am a pretty, I just work all the time. (laughs) It's what I do. And I get on my boat. So, I mean, as long as I can buy my beer, or my vodka on the weekends I'm pretty good you know what i mean so that is something that my wife and i are are very strict about we do have two bank accounts we do and she has access to mine. I have access to hers. So we have our apps and everything. It's just that she hates it when I use her the debit card because I never tell her what I spend. And then I spend $30 and she has to look for seven days to track it down to where the money went to because she looks at every penny, right? So it's just been that way all, all the time. And I have to admit, I think my wife and I gripe about money, but that's I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say that we're unique because we're not, but I'm just thinking about my own personal and loyal listeners. I hope you're doing the same thing out there. Just thinking about how, what they're saying relates to your life. So that's, um, it's very interesting what you're saying. Very interesting. So, well, so, so here, here, It
1: sounds like it's not a huge topic of conflict for you all that you all have found a way to, to make it work for you. And that's, that's the whole point is that couples have to work hard mm-hmm. to figure out. How to insulate themselves from this from this uh, uh, conflict that is typical that is normal. Yeah,
2: yeah. I just work and she'll pay the bills and we'll go places and we'll have a nice retirement. That's, that's all. I, that's the way that I really kind of think about it. Now, I will tell you something right. that you that you hit on. God, I've got like three or four of these friends. Oh, I just want to punch them, Doc.
1: Sure, they're friends. <laughs> they, yeah.
2: She makes eighty dollars to $100,000 a year. He makes fifty dollars to $70,000 a year, you know, and it just doesn't die. There's always little hmm. jabs said when we're all together as friends about how, you know, yeah, he's almost about ready to make as much as her. And I really, I've gotten to the point, because these are couples who've been married 15, 20 years, right? And I'm looking at them, and I want to say to them, not without saying their name, they may listen to the podcast, I want to say to them, like, What's wrong with you that she makes more than you? What does this matter? But, dude, I have guy friends that this is a big deal,
0: okay? Now, you know what the data says? What? You know what the data says about hmm. that? Matt, tell them.
1: Yeah, and this is um, a longstanding research finding is that when the, when the wife or the female partner in the relationship earns more money than the husband, divorce is more likely.
2: I can see it. It's exactly what I'm saying. I want to punch my friends. I do. I, I want to go out in the gar- g- garage when we're drinking beer and be like, "Dude, just ease up. It's okay, man." You know, um, I have a bug. Here's,
0: here's the secret, though. Here's the secret, though. You got to go back and listen to the uh, show that Matt and I did. This is on my former podcast that was produced prior to WeGotYourPodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It was the um, the value of your of my like, the the title was i can't afford my wife yes i like that one so yeah so what it did was it valued all the different tasks that that you know my my wife you know we made a decision early on that she was going to stay home and raise the kids and in, in homeschool um so what it does is it takes basically every task that she does and puts a dollar value and like i would owe her like a hundred and 70-something thousand dollars a year if I had to pay for those services elsewhere. You
2: know who I think are the happiest people in the world? Friends like this other friend that I have. Whenever he went to school, college on a golf scholarship, he told me his whole purpose was to hang out with the pharmaceutical sorority because what he wanted to do was he wanted to marry a pharmaceutical rep. He wanted to be a banker and make eighty to $90,000 a year in golf for the rest of his life. And guess what happened? He married a pharmaceutical um, a pharmacist, and she makes about 350 a year. He makes 90,000. He's the CEO of a bank, and he golfs all the time. And I'm thinking the difference between the thoughts of being willing to accept, okay, I'm okay with the fact that he or she may make more money than me. I'm happy. And then these ones over here, which the data is what that says. I'm telling you, you, this is a real big. My wife and I were just talking about this last week after we left these people's house. I'm like, when's he ever going to get over it? They've been married 17 years. She's been making more money than in the whole time. Look at this big, beautiful house they have, these cars they have, the life they have. Why does this matter? But i guess that it's like a deep-rooted thing that men are supposed to make more or something i don't know where the hell this is coming from where where would you say about that matt where does this come from you know yeah you know i've been a
1: therapist for for a long time and so i would have thought that this would have shifted by now that that this is this relates to some sort of traditional ideal about the husband being the provider and that as we all grew up and matured from that and you know, became more egalitarian in our understanding of personal finances that this would have died. this stat would have died out to some extent, but it hasn't. It hasn't. And so it, it I, I don't exactly we don't exactly know why it is. So let me just make a point there about the difference between causal and correlation research. This is a correlation that when the wife earns more divorce divorce is more highly correlated. But it doesn't mean that, if you earn more than your husband, that's what's causing the divorce. The cause relates to something he's bought into or believes right. about himself, or that that culture or society has communicated about his worth or value. And so it does it. You know, um, once we accept this idea that couples are a, a partnership, a team, then this stat can die out.
2: Man, I'm going to be honest once, with you. I never realized that my wife and I were a couple or a team till about six years ago. That's the God's honest truth like when I was married at the age of 21 and we came together and there was two candles and one and all that stuff like I don't yeah. know what it was it just it was like geometry to me and it was 14. I don't I didn't get it now I do it's like it's it's it was this thing I don't can't even remember it was in my mid 30s when I was like, oh, Like, she's really my best friend. Like, oh, okay. And I know that sounds silly. And I know there's probably a lot of you loyal listeners out here who may think the same thing and you're embarrassed like I was, but it's just the way that it is. I really didn't put those two and two together. And I don't know what clicked in my brain.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's interesting. Um, And I I wonder how many people out there experienced that same thing, that they didn't really feel unified, joined, uh, connected, you know, at the wedding reception, like something about the wedding didn't really take root until 15 years yeah, later. Yeah, I, I don't know. know what the hell you know, it was either. Have you, have you ever seen people do like those sand candles where it's like his candle and her her sand and they pour them together and it's supposed to yeah. indicate some kind of unity? And I, I guess what you're saying is that you, you went through that, that motion, but it didn't really feel real until six years ago.
2: Yeah, it, it, yeah, and it, and it did. I mean, I know she was my partner and I knew the yeah. laws that I had to obey, and I wanted, but it wasn't the fact that, like, well, I knew it's just really, really weird. It's one of those things to explain. And it and it, it triggered a different uh part of our relationship whenever it did that, be honest with you, it triggered a different part of my life. So, I mean, that, that was, that was pretty good. Any other, what's our next data that we've got? We've been going on 31 minutes here. It has not so, seen that long. Wow. That's great. So,
0: so I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to bring one up here. I'm gonna let Matt talk because this is his gig, right? right he, no, actually, sex he's been comes talking up, sex a lot comes and this up. is
2: way more interesting than when you do.
0: Yeah, whenever sex comes up, I'll let him. I'll let him deal with <laughs> sex. But he was talking about, he was talking about causation and correlation, right? And um, the correlation between, um, uh, um, oh my goodness, the correlation between divorce, and, income and, and divorce and income disparity. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Talk about the one with sex, Matt. About that data.
1: Yeah, so there there are really interesting studies that that talk about um if a couple let me just kind of use vernacular language here if a couple are on the same page financially then uh they they feel more satisfied in their in, in their uh deliberations about money if they feel more connected financially there's there's a higher correlation a higher likelihood that they'll also have a sat- very satisfying sexual life so being on the same page financially or let me say it a different way, decreasing the amount of financial conflict in the home relates to a hotter bedroom. If you want if you want hotter sex, straighten out your 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 couple's financial uh, discussions. This is why I have her take
2: care of the finances. This is it. We found the root of the reasoning. Dude, Matt, this was worth the session to me. 30 minutes. How much do you charge? This is great. I, that, that can't be surprising to a lot of people, right? That, I mean. It, well, I think, you
1: know, there, there's another bit to this that's really interesting, which is that when couples fight about money, it has an even more uh, toxic effect on their relationship than some other kinds of conflict. That money conflict uh, is weighted uh, even stronger than some other kinds of conflict. And so if, if there's, dissatisfaction in the relationship, then people don't really want to have sex with each other. You know, resentment is not an aphrodisiac. It's a turnoff when I, when (laughs) I don't like you and I feel like you don't like me. Most humans don't want to go sleep with that person.
2: I don't even really want to talk to the person, right? Let alone. Yeah, that would make sense.
1: So if we understand that finances and financial fights really affect the sense of us or connectedness or, you know, uh, teamwork or unity. If, if financial fights affect that feeling, then it's, it's no surprise that that has an effect on the, the intimacy or their sexual relationship. And, but the opposite is also true that when you really feel connected financially, that's a real turn on.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. And and you know,
0: and, and it,
1: like the, the the CFOs out there, just like we're cheering. The accountants are it's
0: cheering. True. It's, true. it's true. It's Unless, unless, unless the the, the accountants piss their, their spouses off because they're so anal and meticulous at times. I could see that. Yeah. Right. I could definitely see that. No, that's, that's, that's good stuff, dude. That, that,
2: uh, that, that all makes sense. It really truly makes sense. Um, the science of it though is, is amazing when you look at, um, when you look at it and don't they say that the number one, what's the, when's the number one reason why people get a divorce, not the number one reason, but highly likelihood you were saying before, like when you're buying a house, you know, when you're yeah. remodeling or something like that.
1: Yeah. So I read this kind of stuff a lot. And I, I was reading some, some data recently that we're, we're talking about that fighting about finances is, is uh, one of the strongest predictors of divorce. Um, I don't know. I think people get divorced for a number of reasons, but certainly finances and fighting about con- financial conflict is part of that.
0: Yeah, I think I, I kind of see it as as finances uh, inflame all other arguments. You know, it could be it could be an argument about, um, you know, what house should we buy? Right, that's going to be underpinned by how much money do we have, and and you don't work enough, or you don't make enough money, or. You know what? Kids. What school should we send the kids? What should we do, do this week. We weekend, can't afford that, school. right? So, so all yeah, that. Good so point. money is kind of money's like fuel to the Very fire point, that Eric. can exasperate, you know, inflame any other type of argument that you have. Mm-hmm.
1: And let me let me put even a like a more counselor spin on that. That in a relationship, we really want to feel connected to our to our partner, and we really want to feel secure with them, like we like they really have our back. And so how we spend our money sometimes feels really disconnected. like you don't want to hang out with me. You don't want to you don't want to spend time with me or or it makes us feel really insecure. Like, what are you doing with the money? I thought I thought we were in agreement. I thought we were in one accord and we're not. I don't know that you really have my back. So I really think that these two issues of, of security and connection uh, get to, to use Eric's terms to really get inflamed by how money is used and managed in the home.
0: All right, so we were talking about money and and sex. So here's, here's an interesting kind of, I guess this is, I don't know if this is how, uh, how this is all relative and, and subjective, but do you know which financial skill the majority of people or, or, or a lot of people think is attractive? What one? Matt, do you know? I would guess like earning a lot of money would be really attractive. No, 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 it's not that one. They say strong budgeting skills that people find desirable, which is, which is super fascinating to me because so few people budget and budget consistently and budget regularly. I was thinking about it. And it's funny. I'll talk to a lot of people and they'll come to me like, Oh, I just don't have a budget. I need help budgeting or, Oh, I just, I'm I'm such a bad budgeter. And most people know at some level that this is something that they need to do. If I'm going to be financially healthy, I need a budget. I'm not doing it. So I'm thinking maybe they find it attractive if someone else budgets. If they yeah. if, if their partner budgets. I don't know. Is that Matt? Is that bad is that bad science? Am I am I reading I, into something? I,
1: I like that idea that um I I don't like doing this task. So if you like doing that, that's really attractive. I think though that we can pay somebody to do that for us. So I don't know that it's that attractive as a spouse or partner i think this is my own opinion i think what's attractive about that is that it, it feels really secure it brings a lot of security to the relationship it makes us feel like ah i don't have to worry about that you got that you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna take that and mm. and now yeah. i can worry about other things but i know you got my back on that budgeting thing and and I know you got us financially. We have a plan and I think that feels really secure and comforting like like a like a big old robe. And I think that that feeling a in a relationship I think that feeling in a relationship is really attractive.
2: No, and I could agree. That oh. that's me and my old lady right there. I I like She's your robe. I like, well, I do use a robe. I really actually do. People make fun of me about that, but I do. But 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 Dr. Matt, I have the same thing. That is one of the the reasons I I love the relationship I have with my wife when it comes to finances. I don't have to deal with it, right? have a person that I know that I can trust. And when I really sit here and think really fast in my life, that's how everything I have in my life. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at. I push, Mm -hmm. I find people who plug into those good. I attract those to me, give them that, delegate that. And usually it's something they like to do. My wife likes doing this stuff. She is a budgeter. I'm not a budgeter. You know what I mean? She does Mm -hmm. like doing that stuff. Um, so that, that makes, that makes very, very good point. I love what you're saying there. And I think it does have to do with security. I'm secure in the mm-hmm. fact that I know someone's paying the bills and putting our money in our IRA, like we're supposed to, and I'm not having to worry about that. That makes total sense. That tot-
1: and then for, yeah. for her, you know, her doing the budget probably makes her feel more secure. Like I know where our it money does. is. I know we're okay. I know we can pay the house bill, all that. Does. And so once, when she feels secure, her anxiety dials way down and she can relax and be present and then the connection is is more likely mm-hmm. which is that second component of uh, the you know the things that I really focus on with couples
0: dude yeah and what's, what's, what's interesting on this point is since you since you like data have you read the millionaire next door no i actually have never read that so so dave dave cruther's and i we we we've chatted about this book in fact i interview um the the daughter thomas stanley who wrote that book she wrote the the follow up the next millionaire next door and we 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 had an interview several months ago and she basically what they do is they study millionaires, people who've had financial success and they're looking for all these data points. What, what is the common thread? What, what has led to, to success in, in these people? And somewhere like north of 70% of millionaires still budget, hmm. uh, that, that budgeting got them. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they, they, they can still tell you how much they spend on groceries, how much they spend on housing, um and and you might be thinking when I say millionaire you might be thinking like you know like Warren Buffett I'm not talking about those guys you know I'm talking about the the guy next door who's driving you know a a, a you know an American made car in a three bedroom house correct um oh, in 2017 the number was eighty about eighty percent of millionaires were first generation meaning they worked for their money it wasn't it wasn't inherited so budgeting that's good is yeah budgeting is budgeting and and the other um trait that people find attractive that this study found in and also um Sarah Falao in the Next Minute or Next Door um talks about a lot is thriftiness or frugality. So people find attractive um yeah. a desirable trait is people who are who budget and who are frugal. And those are the two main factors that lead to financial success.
2: Hmm. Wow, dude. That's interesting. So there that yeah. They found out what made it works, and they
0: and they continue to do it. Um, I like that. And, and with the challenge here, the the cha- here's the challenge, right? We're we're professionals. We're we're successful, and we run in circles with very successful people. We run in circles where people spend money. Okay, but in in a lot of our circles, people are spending money that they have that they've made. So there's nothing wrong with big purchases. There's nothing wrong with with spending, um, with spending money um, That you have, but it's an awareness of that, and I think being aware of the fact and being thoughtful in the fact that hey, I have money, I can spend it on this. Matt and I did a show the other day, and Matt led off by asking about some, ex- you know, he was on a he was on a vacation, he was doing some some expensive activities with this kid. Hey, can, is that is that financially sound? Should I be doing? It? I want to do it again, but it's expensive. And the response that I gave him was it just really depends. You know, personal finances are our personal and how we spend is is totally dependent about the rest of our financial picture so i think there's a there's a sense here of and with all this data that we're talking about what's important is that awareness is that we become aware of these things so that we don't become the negative side of that statistic
1: yeah yeah i think The way that I think about this is that, uh, I work with couples who have money and, and are going to have arguments about money. I'm not going to prevent that. What I need to help them do is think about how money is going to affect their relationship and how they can build strategies or processes or, or, or something that insulates and protects them from the, from the pool, from the, you know, the, 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 uh the drag of money on their relationship. I need to help them think about how to protect themselves. Hmm. One, one other area I want to get into today. If we, if we have uh, a few more minutes, one other area I want to get into today is this topic about financial infidelity. Okay. So financial infidelity is, is a, a little bit of a hot topic. I'm seeing it pop up more and more. There's a body of, of academic literature out there that, um, is is called uh, financial therapy Um, it's kind of the the two disciplines of of family therapy and financial planning coming together and so they're they're writing more about this idea of financial infidelity and financial infidelity is something like uh, when one spouse is involved in spending money in a way that they know will be disapproved of by their spouse and They're actively trying to hide it. So both parts need to be present. So if you think about what is infidelity, what's cheating on your spouse, it's when you're engaged in some kind of unapproved, intimate affair, and you're trying to hide it. So financial infidelity is when you're engaged in some kind of, you know, it's unapproved, you know, it's going to piss your spouse off. You do it anyway, and then you're actively working on some kind of cover up. And so that you know understanding how that affects couples is kind of a hot topic right now and we know that from from various studies on this topic that somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to about 55 percent of couples have engaged in some form of financial infidelity man i'd be willing to bet
2: it's higher than that i mean i've got to say sometime in the last (laughs) 20 years i've probably done this a couple times i mean and i mean it was it was you know i stopped and got a snickers bar when i was supposed to be on a diet right i'm i'm, I'm just i'm, I'm i've am i never been on a diet i'm using this as an example that's not what you're talking about you're talking about i mean what could somebody i don't know how i could do this how could somebody be spending that much so money and hiding it
0: we're, we're talking about we're talking about and i've seen this before the the spouse that has a secret bank account you know yeah. kind of like wow. for for to, to, to hide the money or almost like as a, as an out. Um, wow. Okay. Never mind. I've never thought of that. So that's yeah. why I don't think of that, but yeah. And
1: just to, just to clarify that part of it. So there, so let's break this into two camps. There's the minor kinds of hiding purchases, like buying a snicker bar when you're on a diet. And then there's the major egregious ones. So that whole like 25 to 55% of couples who, who, engage in this. Most of those are in that minor camp. And that is like, you know, I, I bought something that I didn't tell you about, or I told you that it costs one price when it really costs a lot more, or I told you it was on sale when it was really full price, or I bought something for the kids, but didn't really tell you that kind of stuff. That's totally different than like Eric, what you were starting to talk about there about the hidden account that is the backdoor or emergency exit route for the relationship. If things go bad, that happens in about 5% of couples, the best, the best, at least the best literature that I've read on this subject says that that happens in about 5% of couples, the hidden account, the hidden credit card, the the data I was looking at was specifically related to a a checking or savings account Mm -hmm. that's hidden from one's spouse.
0: Okay.
1: Hidden income is another one. Like I got a bonus at work and I didn't tell my spouse or I've been squirreling away money for years and not telling anybody that that also occurs about 5% of the time. Um, and then secret gambling. That's another one. Like, um, uh, I could see that we have a, we have a leak financially in the form of gambling and I'm not telling anybody about that. That's another, about 5% of the time. So those kinds of Those kinds of expenses are particularly harmful to the relationship in that they're, you know, you know, they're disapproved of, you know, there's uh, you're actively involved in concealing it or or covering up that really erodes as we were talking about that sense of security and connection that that we want to foster in couples. I mean, that's the opposite of you have my
0: back. That's like,
1: I'm pretty sure you don't have my back. Right. (laughs)
0: yeah in in another way another place you see this so matt and i we kind of started originally doing building us work in in the premarital space like we we wanted to bring good relationship and and money uh, advice to to couples getting married so where you see some of this financial infidelity are couples coming together not disclosing certain not disclosing
1: debt for instance
0: material material things like i've got the student loan debt or i've got mm. uh, credit card debt or i've got a how about this one this is a big one um a wrecked credit score right yeah. hiding hiding that type of uh,
1: financial history right concealing that that's different than like my wife and i for years uh would you know share share a bank account but try to buy each other uh, gifts, holiday gifts or whatever. And so you had to conceal the purchase for a little while. That's that's not financial yeah, infidelity. That is that's gift giving. <laughs> that's like the element of surprise. That's, right. that's fine. <laughs> that's right. What you don't want to find is you don't want to open a letter one day and find like, oh, we owe $30,000 to this good. bank, you know, that's on this good. credit card. Where did that money go? I have no idea that 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 really erodes connection, security really affects the bedroom, as we were talking about earlier, is more likely to lead to divorce, all of that kind of stuff, all that kind of stuff that you want to avoid as
0: a couple. And the data tells us that. And and I think oftentimes where relationships are very emotional, I think there's sometimes there's some science to it. And if we listen to the data, I think we can be, uh, we can, we can increase our chance of success. So
1: hey, just to, To wrap this up for for me at least that you know there's very few places for people to learn about love and money and and how finances affect the home we really don't learn it early in life before we marry Uh, we don't really have that many resources to go to um, after we're in a relationship unless you're particularly intentional and you seek out books to read or people to talk to or classes to attend um, so it's no wonder that couples struggle with this kind of stuff because we don't teach it anywhere. It's not, it's not part of the life curriculum that most of us learn. We generally repeat what what we saw at home. Um, so, uh, as couples couple later in life, they, those, those skills or habits or bad habits are, are more substantially ingrained and therefore couples are kind of having to, to, to really work to change their habits together. So if you're, if you're, if couples are out there, if your listeners are out there and they're, they're struggling with some of this, give yourself a little bit of a break. It's no surprise. Um, you, you probably could learn some skills that would really help and don't do this stuff that really hurts your relationship. That's
0: my best advice. Don't do stuff that hurts.
2: Don't do stuff that hurts. Eric, last thing you want to say, buddy?
0: Yeah. Um, kind of on that same idea. Conflict is not bad. A conflict, conflict is good. Having differences on, on on things is is actually probably strengthening if if you approach it properly makes sense Uh, way to good
2: look at that eric
0: so so i wouldn't i wouldn't run from argument i would lean in and as matt said the surveys don't really tell us the 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 underpinning like why why am i feeling this Uh, so i think it's important that that couples have those discussions like why why does this make me mad why does this make you upset and and having those conversations kind of in a in a in a judgment free zone having them very transparent and very open being very vulnerable because it's tough stuff to talk about um, but but don't run from conflict lean into it because on the other side you'll be you'll be much stronger
2: fantastic hey guys I really do appreciate your time you need to check it out loyal listeners to check out building us with uh, Dr Matt Morris and Eric the man Garcia. Um, he's also Cuban. That's what makes him the man. That's uh, very special. So I want to let everybody know that this is what I do. I do, I do it for you. I want you to know about people like building us. Um, I mean, I'm just telling you right now, I don't care if you listen to this on one speed, one and a half or two speed, you got a lot out of this. And that's the whole point of this. You learned about how to make your uh, spouse happy, have some more sex, uh, you know, figure out what to do, how to make your money, have more money. Um, and how to not cheat on your spouse with money. So there was a lot of different things we learned, and this is just one episode. They got a whole skew of them over there. So go check them out over there at Building Us. Guys, I appreciate your time. I really, really, truly do. Hey, be sure to tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass. We're out.
0: Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit DrMattMorris.com.
1: Eric Garcia can be found online at Plan-Wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities
0: listed are not affiliated.